Hey everybody, it's Cody Brown from Cody Brown Reflections, and uh, we have a very special episode of the podcast today. Um, it's not special because of the verse, or set of verses that we're looking at. It's not special because that I have a guest or anything like that. It's simply special because I want to talk to us on how we can find ways to devote ourselves uh, to, you know, something involving the Word of God. Um, most people will pick up a reading plan and they say, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, do this reading plan in one year and, uh, you know, it's going to really help me to learn and understand Scripture and, you know, this reading plan... I will have read through the entire Bible in a whole year and all this stuff. They keep <coughs> saying good things about the reading plan. And there is good things to be said um, about a reading plan. However, when we get to Leviticus and other places where it just feels like, you know, chapter after chapter, you're just listing off command after command. Uh, uh, you know, do this, don't do this, do that, don't do this. And then, you know, you get so bogged down on that that you lose interest. And when you lose interest, you often give up. And it's, and, and, and first of all, I want to say that giving up on a reading plan, um, I would say is not necessarily sinful. Because, and here's why. Because, you know, when you feel like you're tied down to a schedule or something like that, you, you know, you lose interest. It's just a fact of life that some people will lose interest, um, you know, just because that everything feels, you know, robotic. And so the trick is to then find something that doesn't feel robotic and like you know like something that would be enjoyable <coughs> so one thing that I started doing and I started doing this last year is uh, that Crossway has done some neat things with their text of the English Standard Version namely journaling Bibles and the journaling Bible is you know, the biblical text with two inches of wide margin, uh, you know, that have journaling lines on them that you can go in and, you know, you can read whether it be through an audio Bible or, or something like that. And you can make notes on literally every verse in Scripture using, um, you know, these journaling Bibles. And I happen to have mine that, you know... I was originally going to do a cover-to-cover -cover reading plan in it, and I don't remember how far I got. Um, but it was a hardback edition, and I'm looking at it right now, so I'm trying to multitask. But anyway, um, <coughs> I you know I I was reading through it, and I I loved it. I enjoyed being able to make little notes and things like that. Uh, you know when I could. However, I didn't finish, you know, my journaling Bible for the year. 
I didn't fill up every page with notes and uh, you know highlights and marks and stuff like that so I still have a fair amount of journaling Bible left that I could use and I have thought about picking it up and, and just writing some stuff on scripture uh, here and there and I have used it a time or two um, but I also have a new one coming in and this new one is going to be in one of Crossway's excellent True Tone covers um, that you know I, that I feel like I can connect with. Um, I like I like the feel of like leather Bibles or of like True Tone Bibles, uh, just because you know, like if I was to use it to preach with, you know, a hardback doesn't, you know, it just doesn't feel right preaching from a hardback to me. So I'm gonna get you know the journaling Bible in the True Tone cover, and I'm not saying that I'm necessarily, necessarily going to preach from it, but, uh, you know, anytime that I feel like doing Bible study, it would feel, you know, a lot more comfortable than my hardback. Now, however, I can still use my hardback until that new journaling Bible gets here, <coughs> and, you know, really dig into uh, the Word with this thing, but I don't see myself using it as a permanent thing uh, for yet another year. And the reason being that it's bound in a hardback cover. Um, so, you know, sometimes Bible and sometimes the aesthetics get in your way. And that's the case for me. However, you know, you've got to make the experience something that's comfortable for you. And in making that you know, possible, sometimes you're going to have to go with, you know, getting a different cover style. Uh, you know, just something that would work better for you. Um, because I know, like, last year when I was trying to find the perfect preaching Bible, and I finally found it, the uh, ESV verse-by-verse -verse reference, um, with fairly wide margins in it, it's not like, it's not considered a wide margin Bible, um, but it does have fairly wide margins in it, and it does have, you know, a lot of space at the top of the page and at the bottom of the page uh, to make notes, and it has room for highlights and things like that. Uh, but it's just, it's just the Bible that works for me. And, you know, I'm looking at it right now, and it's like, you know, man, I love preaching out of this Bible. <laughs> I really do. Um, and then I also have a sermon notebook uh, that I catalog all of my stuff in. Uh, for my sermons, I, I have the point of salvation in here. I have uh, implications of the gospel in here. Um, I have quotes uh, that, you know, either, either that I come up with or that I hear, and I just feel the need to write them down. Um, <coughs> there's that. And before, you know, before that, we've talked about this before, but before that, I had, you know, Crossway's Wide Margin Edition in their top grain leather. And I, I have a ton of pages in here that I haven't written on either. That, again, I could, um, because, you know, their paragraph format is not that bad, and you can pick out the verses fairly easy. And, you know, you have wide margin everywhere, uh, so you could literally you know, write, you know, on 
every section. And, uh, you know, in between those two, I got the Cambridge wide margin. And everybody's like, well, why aren't you using the Cambridge wide margin to preach from? That's the preaching Bible, uh, you know, for a lot of people. And it's like, yeah, it is, but, um, you know, it's just the text size. The text size is what gets me. Um, you know, it's not really my cup of tea as far as text size. However, I do think that there's some benefit to having a Cambridge wide margin, um, just not as your primary preacher. Now, some people do have it as their primary preacher, and that's perfectly fine. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, like mine, the text size is way too small for me to read. Um, and it's it's hard to pick up, you know, where verses start and where verses end, um, just due to the fact that... Uh, that you know that they have everything in a paragraph format and their verse numbers are not bold bold enough to see but i do like the cambridge wide margin and i might use it to preach out of some this year um but not you know not my primary preacher because my primary preacher is um my verse by verse reference and i have notes for days in it <laughs> notes for days um but there are things that, you know, that I could preach out of the Cambridge wide margin that, you know, that I may not necessarily be able to preach out of my verse by verse just due to the fact that I have notes everywhere on my verse by verse pages. So, I, you know, I think there's benefits to having these wide margin Bibles. And again, same thing with the journaling Bible. You can, you know, you can adopt that as a preaching Bible. Um... You know, just because you have a lot more space for a lot more notes. And again, if you can find it in a cover that you like, or maybe even have you know somebody that can have it rebound uh, into a cover that you like, you know, it's that might work for you. And I might even preach from that from time to time. But, you know, it's my verse by verse is, you know, where I come from first and foremost. Because I've always preached from a verse by verse Bible. Um, my new King James that I preached from was verse by verse. And, uh, you know, they always called it the Cheater's Bible because it was, uh, also thumb indexed. So you, you knew where your, your books were. Um, but, uh, you know, I never used the thumb tabs. It's just easier for a quick reference sometimes. Um, but I like my ESV verse by verse accompanied by, you know, my sermon notebook, and then, you know, of course, the journaling Bible, uh, you can make notes there. <coughs> so, I say all this to tell you that, you know, there are ways out there in which we can find to commit ourselves to have a little bit of devotional time with God and His Word. And... <coughs> You know, like I said, it may just be, you know, getting a journaling Bible. Um, it may be, you know, finding the right preaching Bible that you can preach out of and that, you know, you feel comfortable reading out of when you're in the pulpit. Um, you know, it's there's a lot that goes into it, is my point. Um, not just finding the right preaching Bible, but finding the right Bible in general. Um, I have, you know, like I said, I have several Bibles. 
in several different translations, and I have <coughs> I have a Holman Christian Standard coming in uh, sometime within the next two weeks, which I will be doing a review on, uh, you know, a video review. I have a, uh, you know, and of course the other journaling Bible coming in. Um, I just got the email that that shipped today. Um, and then, like, you know, you have devotional books that you can work out of. I have uh, one that I plan on working through at some point. Um, you know, just because it, it's something that, it's on a subject matter that'll help me, honestly. Um, and then, you know, you can turn anything into devotional material. You can turn commentaries, um you know, lectureship books, which is, I, you know, I have both of those things, um, study Bibles, if you know what you're getting into when you get into the notes, and even just writing scripture, that can be, uh, you know, a time of devotion, because you're devoting yourself fully to, you know, to whatever it is you're doing, and it's growing your faith more and more. So there's more ways to do a devotion, so to speak, uh, than to than to you know simply just pick up a reading plan and start reading. And you know that's that's one of the main things. You know it's like well, you know the Bible's intimidating. Yeah, but that's also because you know I think part of that is because people have made it intimidating. Um, <coughs> you know because. There are so many different doctrines and so many different interpretations about Scripture that it's crazy, and that people, you know, just they they want to get the noise they want to get the noise out of the way, and I don't blame them one bit. In fact, you know, I I don't want to be, uh, you know, the guy that carries around a study Bible everywhere, uh, you know, trying to sort the notes and say, well, you know, these this note is good, this note's not good, and, and so much like that. Um, which is why, you know, I don't even use... Um, I, I have my New King James Version Study Bible right in front of me. I have uh, the ESV Study Bible floating around. I mean, sometimes it is good to... Um, to look at other perspectives and to see, you know, maybe, you know, the scholarly approach to Scripture. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, you're not going to find a conservative, true, biblical doctrine in any of these study Bibles because they all come from a a Reformed denominational kind of mindset in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, there's not a study Bible about the Restoration Movement. Uh, and, you know, nobody's cared to make that kind of thing, probably. And, and <coughs> we have the writings to do it. We have, you know, Alexander Campbell's writings and Barton Stone's writings and so many other uh, scholar, so, scholarly people. We have their writings to you know, to be able to do that. But I don't think, you know, that producing another study Bible 
would help make things any easier. Because then it's like, well, you know, because not everybody believes in what the Restoration Movement brought about, even though it did encourage, you know, back to biblical Christianity kind of thinking, <coughs> which is the only, which in my opinion is the only good thing that came from the Restoration Movement, is that it, it encouraged people, um, you know, to sit down and to, you know, think these things through, um, as opposed to just believing, you know, so-and-so because so-and-so has a PhD or two PhDs or whatever. Um, I think there's merit to just basic scripture study, which is why I keep my, you know, my sermon notebook, I keep my verse-by-verse -verse always handy, so that way I can just open up to a passage, and if I want to make notes, I can make notes. If I want to use my journaling Bible or one of my wide margin Bibles, you know, I can make my own notes, uh, you know, without necessarily looking into, uh, you know, the works of everybody else. And then, in essence, you create your own study Bible, and, and you don't have to publish it and, you know, and market it and try and make money from it just because, you know, you've created your own study Bible. Uh, but it's like, you know, there are things that you can do, and there are things that, you know, that you probably shouldn't do, <laughs> uh, that would make Bible study easier. And one thing that I try to do with, you know, the Cody Brown Reflections and with, you know, my scripture studies and stuff like that, is I try to make sure that my number one focus is on what does the text say, not what does, you know, the what what's the typical Church of Christ answer is, is the, you know, the best way I know to say it. <coughs> because if we always give the typical Church of Christ answer to it, there's really no explanation, there's no depth, um, you know, to what we're saying. And, there, and if you give, you know, your typical denominational answer the same is true it's like well there's really no depth and and understanding in you know in any of the typical modern answers uh for example and i'll just use this as an example get my little uh pit minion out um we'll go to john chapter 10 John chapter 10 and uh, in this nice little chapter uh, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd and he talks about you know towards the end uh, you know that he's talking about those whom the father gives him uh you know, he will not lose. Um, you know, at like John ten twenty eight, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Um, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. 
you know, he's people interpret that as a once saved, always saved kind of doctrine. Uh, kind of proof text verse. Um, but I don't think, you know, it's, there's nothing really contextually speaking uh, that it's referring to, uh, you know, to uh, the once saved, always saved concept. Um, because the once saved, always saved concept is that, you know, that once you're saved, you can live however you want to. And, <coughs> uh, you know, it doesn't matter because you're still saved. And, you know, God's going to save you regardless. And, you know, there are different points of views on the once saved, always saved doctrine. And um, I'm trying my best to represent them accurately. Um, I need I need to record some more podcasts um, on that subject. But the you know the problem is is you know if we just look at this passage and we just take it for what it is, which is what we should be doing. You know, just take it for what it is. But <coughs> you know, I've taken the application you know too far. Um, and I by too far I mean I've heard some you know scholarly people just say well um you know if if we are able to lose our salvation then that means that uh that Jesus is not a perfect savior well that runs into some problems right there um because who who are we to tell God how he must act? I mean, seriously. How can we sit here and tell God, hey, you have to act this way. Hey, you have to save me because I did this thing. And, you know, that, and you also can't make me lose my salvation because I did this thing. We're telling God how we want to live. And, you know, how we want to be saved. And now, you know, truly, true Calvinists would say, you know, which, you know, was among the Reformed doctrine, they would say, well, you know, God chose you to be saved, and, you know, the undeniable grace kind of thing, um, and that, you know, that you're going to be saved regardless, and that, you know, he can't lose what he's chosen. <laughs> but another thing about... Uh, you know, the people that he has chosen, if you look at the people that he's chosen throughout Scripture, they were, ch- they were chosen to, to serve a greater purpose. And, you know, you can't say that consistently. You can't say uh, that God has chosen who would be saved just based on the merit that, you know, he chose people to work out his purposes, yes, but once his purpose was fulfilled, it's, you know, it's open. Like when, you know, he chose the family, he chose the tree line in which Jesus would, you know, be born. When he chose all of that, after Jesus was born, Jesus said, you know, I I died for the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Um, you know, he died for the whole world. And not just the people that God chose. 
<clears throat> now, in a different context, there is a passage in Hebrews, I believe it's Hebrews, um, that says, you know, something to the effect that Christ only died for, you know, the people that are saved. And that's a, a tough passage to wrestle with, honestly. Because, you know, you have a picture of Christ dying for the whole world, but at the same time, you have a picture of Christ dying for the select few. <laughs> and the thing is, is that only a select few will accept the gift that God is offering. God offers the gift to the entire world. Everybody, regardless of their background and status, has the opportunity to accept God's gift of salvation, but not everybody will accept it. And so at the end of the day, when you know, when this world is over and when it's either heaven or hell, you know those people that are in Christ, that die in Christ, those are the select few that will that have accepted God's gift of salvation and you know, anybody outside of that is no longer, you know, no longer has the opportunity to accept the gift because by that time it will have been too late. And so I didn't mean to, you know, to take this and to get into, you know, doctrines and all that stuff. Um, and it went from, you know, uh, devotion to, you know, defeating a, to, you know, talking about a doctrine. Um, but I know where I was going with that. You know, my point is, is that we need to look at, you know, scripture and we need to find the way that works best for us to look at scripture. And, you know, we can't depend on someone just because they have a PhD or two PhDs or whatever, because that's, you know, they may be physically smart, but, um, you know, they, as far as biblically smart they you know their exegesis may not always come out as you know something that's good and something that's consistent <coughs> with uh, you know with the rest of scripture um because even in the john 10 argument there's you know language that would uh, you know that would insist on you know someone who you know continually comes to the Father, who is continually given to the Lord, instead of, you know, just coming to the Lord one time. But, again, that's another story for another time. Um, but, you know, in, in wrestling with Scripture, and that's really what, you know, what I use the journaling Bibles for, and the wide margin Bibles, that's really what I use them for, is to, to try and wrestle with Scripture, and not wrestling it to try and disprove it, but to wrestle it and try and and figure out how it fits into the bigger picture and to think through and to, you know, to think heavily uh, about, you know, a passage of scripture or a chapter or a whole book even. Um, so I, you know, I, it's all about scripture study at the end of the day. And... <laughs> to say otherwise, to, 
you know, to, to build up this mindset, well, you know, my preacher said it, my friends said it, my friends go to this church, my, you know, my family has always gone to this church. To say, you know, to depend your faith on other people instead of what the Word of God says is not the way to do Christianity, and it's not the proper way uh, leading to salvation nine out of ten times because salvation is a personal thing. Uh, you know, it's a personal opportunity that you have to accept and your family can't accept it for you, your preacher can't accept it for you, your friends can't accept it for you. You have to accept the gift yourself. And, you know, that's... That's the problem is people don't want to build their own personal faith. They just want to lean on everything else. And... uh you know, which is why I wouldn't want to create a study Bible based on the Restoration Movement. Because then people would start saying that that's the standard. And, uh, that, and that's part of the problem with what we're talking about right now. Is You know, are we holding the Word of God as the true standard? Or are we holding our family and friends as the true standard? It's, you know, that's something that we have to wrestle with. And that we really have to think and dig deep about. Um... Just, just due to the fact that, um, you know, that there's so much false doctrine in the Christian religion that, you know, then people just lean on, you know, if their family has always been Mormon, they're a Mormon, and so on and so forth. Uh, but this would be a time when I would say you might be the one that has to break the chain. Uh, I had to be the one in my immediate family to break the chain. Um, I grew up Baptist. And, uh, you know, as I got smarter and as I started just observing things and forcing myself to observe things, I got smarter and realized that, you know, what my Baptist church was teaching was not consistent with what Scripture says. And, you know, <clears throat> even as a young boy, you can pick out, you know, the inconsistencies if you pay attention. Um, you know, and that's really what God is wanting you, to, wanting you to do. His Word is not so complex that you need somebody to, to explain it for you. It's easy to understand, but the problem is, is getting yourself to actually sit down and understand it. Uh, you know, God designed it to where you would learn something new every time you picked it up uh, instead of, you know, learning everything at once and then being done with it. Because if you could learn everything at once, you, there would be no need for the Bible. And eventually you would you would forget, uh, you know, what you learned. And then, you you know, you could fall away and then you could come up with something that's not exactly true and you know and that could lead to something bad so god designed the bible to where you learn something new every time you pick it up regardless if it's for five minutes or for five hours um so it's like you really have to to take care and to pay attention and you know and, and make sure that what's being taught and what's being written in what what has been written in scripture are both consistent because if they're not consistent then you know you're you're in the wrong place you're at the wrong kind of uh of christianity 
That's, I mean, that's just the bottom line. And I hate to say it as blunt as I just did, but it's not real Christianity if it's not consistent. Because in order for truth to be absolute, and most Christians would agree that there is an absolute truth, and that would be Jesus, John fourteen six. But in order for truth has to be, in order for truth to be absolute, truth also must be consistent. Because Jesus was never inconsistent in what he did and what he taught and what he believed. Jesus was never inconsistent. Jesus never said, well, you know, you can believe what you want about this, but I'm going to believe this. Jesus said, this is how it is, and it's my way or the highway. Multiple times he said that, actually. So, uh, you know, in order for truth to be absolute, truth also has to be consistent. Um, and that's that's what I would leave you with tonight. So, thank you so much, and God bless. And tune in for our next episode. Bye-bye.